Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Skift Podcast, Skift's weekly conversations on the trend lines shaping global travel. This podcast is sponsored by MasterCard, one of the world's leading technology companies. MasterCard and Skift have recently announced future cities, an exploration of how major destinations are preparing for the new age of urban mobility. From connected infrastructure to smart technologies, this upcoming series examines how global cities are creating seamless and personalized experiences for visitors and residents. Learn more about the project at futurecities.skift.com and join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag SkiftFutureCities. I'm Samantha Schenkman, and this week I'm joined by Skift Hotel Editor Greg Oates. Lifestyle hotels were once considered a niche segment of the larger hotel industry, but have since grown to become the most talked about and coveted of hotels. Much of the appeal of these well-designed properties is the expectation of a branded guest experience. Frontline staff become brand ambassadors who are as responsible for assisting guests as they are perpetuating the lifestyle brand through their words and actions. Staying on brand is an obsession for most companies, but it is even more difficult when spread across multiple properties and hundreds of employees. What this external success ultimately comes down to is a strong internal culture. To explore the relationship between company culture and how that translates into a stronger guest experience, we're speaking with Josh Fleur, the COO of Morgan's Hotel Group, and Elon Kensington, the COO of the Gansevoort Hotel Group. Each of these lifestyle brands were the first of their kinds, setting the pace for what a lifestyle experience could and should feel like. However, in recent years, they've begun to face competition as similar lifestyle brands gain traction and major hotel corporations attempt to integrate lifestyle elements into their own brands. Today, we also speak about the changing landscape of the lifestyle hotel segment and where it's headed in the future. Josh, Elon, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Pleasure. Uh, Today we're talking about how company culture translates into a better guest experience at hotels. And so I would just like to start really broadly by asking, how would you define the company culture at your hotel brand? Uh, We spend a lot of time talking about culture, actually, and it is actually part of the first sentence of our mantra, which is really what we really call our ethos which is a shared vision by a group of people to basically get everybody on the same page and moving in the same direction. Um, that ethos is shared by the entire company to the degree that that has to be recited and earned by each employee, by the general manager, with the understanding that the items on that ethos or in that ethos are not negotiable, they're not conditional, and they're not optional. So if you buy in, you buy in whole, you know, whole, whole on, and you you commit to actually living by those rules, if you will, which we can get into a little bit deeper lately, what the, later what those look like. But it's a, you know, it's a pretty prescribed kind of way of getting everybody on the same page. Interesting. And Elon, how would you define the, the culture? I think with, with, with both of our brands, actually, culture does change as the brand evolves. And there's two ways to look at the culture. One is the culture from within. And then the other one is the culture that's been built from a guest point of view. As the company's grown, as it expands, and as it becomes more and more known throughout the world. 
within our brand, you know, we, we say to, to everybody, it's really getting to know us and who we are and getting to know as we are the Gansevoort family. So we are a private company. Uh, we have the two hotels in New York, one in Totes and Caicos and one in just recently added in Dominican Republic. So our philosophy is that, you know, as Morgan's Hotel Group has touched on a bit, it's listening to our clients understanding the clients but changing with those needs also yeah I, I couldn't agree more we've over the 30-year history of the company when we started we were a very different kind of company both from the way we'd hire employees and train them to the way we designed our hotels and that couldn't be you know more truthful um we've had to evolve you just we were the only option at the time and now there's many players in the segment so in order to be relevant you, you have to listen to what the consumer's saying and what your employees are saying i, I yeah i agree i think that's spot on we're both sort of came into this industry, I mean, I think you were just before us and then we followed. We both like to profess we are lifestyle brands and we're leaders in that, that area of, of the business. But it is evolving. There are more companies that are joining us. Um, so how do you stay relevant? Well, you stay relevant through who you are, what you do, how you evolve, but more importantly, what you are. And what you are is who you are. Who you are is who engages with you and who is employed with you and who is part of your team. And that team makes you successful. So you brought up an interesting point where there's really the two perspectives of your culture, that your internal culture, how you perceive it, and then how your guest perceives it. Has there been times where there's been a disconnect in how your consumer perceived you? I think that to answer that question specifically, you always have to look at who you are every day in what you do. Because the client's perspective of who you are changes and their demands change. So if you stay static and you you draw that land, line in the sand and you say, this is who we are, unless you change with the changes that we know there are many, and we could be here for hours and hours and days and days talking about one specific subject. And when you think you've got it right, it's changed and it's time to, to discuss it again. I think to be successful and to be relevant, it's who is sending that message. Like We're both here. I think we're open-minded and it's all about getting it right. It's not whose idea it is or when it's applied, it's getting it right. And with the competition that's coming to the market and they're coming to the market with you know, new technologies, new, new things have come into the market. If we, haven't, if we don't have those, we have to evolve. But not always. You don't always have to copy what everybody does. You take the good that has been done, the good that clients like and that they buy into and they expect and you develop it from there. Yeah, I think you can't be all things to all people either. You do have to take a stand and make a statement and be have some conviction around that statement before you become authentic. Right? In order to be authentic, you actually have to take a position. Uh, and, and the way we do that, and I'm sure Gansevoort's no different, is we hire very specifically. It's not a shot in the dark. There's a process by which we go, which is not uncommon. This business and this industry has always been very critically aware of how important it is to get good people and train those people and get them like-minded, if you will. But more so now than ever, given the competition, you've got some disruptors in the market, disruptors to the business and to the culture that um, are like we've never seen before, at least I've never seen before. The Airbnbs of the world are, are really starting to change the way that we have to look at the business from the foundational level down to the core, the way we hire and retain people so that we can compete against not just our own industry, but other industries that have found other blue ocean out there to go explore that are impacting us. And, and if our culture is not strong and people don't, it doesn't resonate with people and they don't actually 
come to us because there's something unique, special, different, fun uh, about us, then, then we're losing our edge. You talk about competition, about how there's more players in this market than there were before. How are you seeing that impact your staffing? Is keeping people on the team harder? Is finding the right people more difficult? Very much so. When you go back to the Airbnb situation, I think because of what's happening in the marketplace, as in the supply coming to hotels and the increase of supply of hotels, it is becoming, um, we're having to redefine the way that we 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 market ourselves. But that in mind, it's almost helping us align ourselves together to be aligned in the way that we deal with these out, outside factors like Airbnb that are affecting um, the hotels and revenues of hotels. So it's almost like as we redefine ourselves, we become stronger as, as lifestyle hotels in dealing with opportunities in the marketplace. However, when it comes to staffing, of course, there is a smaller um, uh, pool of great talented people that hotels like ours um, always try to attract and do attract. Um, we as a company have actually never used headhunters for any single employee within the company. So we like to develop our team by going and recognizing people that are great at what they do and trying to retain them within our family. And that's how we build our teams. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question because we find certain markets to be particularly more difficult than others. So if you look at LA as an example for us in terms of hiring really talented people, there is a oversupply of people looking for our kinds of jobs. Um, I, I'm not sure why that is. Maybe some of them are there because they're, they're really transient. They're not long-term lifer employees of the hospitality business. And as such, they're there and willing to take or able to take or interested in taking these kinds of career paths. In other markets like Miami, it's, it's really difficult for us to get talented staff. I don't know how your experiences have been or were in Miami, but it, it is a different population down there. They're there to play and um, the employees behave that way. So it's a very different kind of way of managing them. So we find that by market and London's different still. So we, we find that trying to engage employees to even be interested in working to, this, to the service standards that we've put forth becomes difficult. So you really have to scour some of these markets carefully where others, there, you know, there's a disproportionate number of available labor. Um, Earlier you said that um, the type of staff that you're looking for has changed and what you're looking for has changed. I just wanted to provide some specifics about that. Well, I think to be, from my perspective, I think to be continue to be competitive, you, you've got to look at the business differently. And so the employee talent you're looking for has to look at the business a little differently. It's not your transactional experience any longer. Not that it, if you were really good in this business, that was never the case. It was always much more about the experience. It had to be if you really wanted to succeed and get rate premium. The only reason that a hotel that has a bed and a shower gets more rate than another is because they've got a strong culture that then breeds great service that then leads to guest loyalty, which ultimately gets the profit. That's a chain that we talk about all the time. But And then you get premium on rate. But the differences between the service delivery and the person that you hire is in how they look at the delivery of that service and where the business is in its cycle. Um, and right now we are looking for people who are really experience-based. So we, we don't want the guest agent who's been a guest agent for 20 years who's now just going to become a guest agent at our hotel. We want somebody who's been you know, a citizen of the world, for lack of a better term, and to be a little goofy for a second, but somebody who really has some worldly experience who can speak to a guest in a different kind of a way and have a different level of experience with that guest um, that make them loyal or interested in our brands. 
Right, and, and from our brand point of view, you know, we strive to, to provide an ecosystem of services. Well, if you provide an ecosystem of services, as we say, we're a one-stop destination. So when people come and stay in, in, in lifestyle hotels, as Morgan's Hotels is, uh, strives to, as Gansvold Hotel Group strives to, with our nightlife, our bars, our entertainment, you know, apart from striving outside your room to different walls within a property, I think our goals are pretty much to keep people on property and make us a one-stop shop. However, with that goes an ecosystem of services offered by your team. So in the old days, it was one person doing one job for many years, getting promoted, doing the next job for many years. Now there has to be crossover. And, and the culture of what you do is, 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 is training people, engaging your team to understand the point, importance and the need for that to happen. There's a great saying, little things mean a lot. Little things mean everything, I think, in our world. So there can never be this word, no, it's not my job. So we try and engage people that whatever the question, we have a solution. It may not be the exact solution, but we have an answer. And that's what we do. And that's why we call ourselves lifestyle hotels, because we have something for everybody at all times. A little bit more specifically into each of your brands, once somebody does um, come on board and they're joining the staff, how do you kind of get them behind that single identity? How do you ingrain, you know, the Morgan's culture into an employee or the Gansevoort lifestyle into an employee so that that way they can then translate that to guests and they're kind of the ambassadors of that brand? Um, in the one hour we've got, <laughs> uh, we've probably got between us between many many years of experience but listen here's one card for 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 for, for instance it's got our mission statement our core values on one side and you know we have this little saying which is gatsby which we have this gatsby which is a gansvort goose and then we have everything that goes with that so it writes it starts from which i'll use a, a morgan's term a onboarding stage right so right from when they engage from the, the orientation and then we do um training within the departments but it really is a culture from from where we are down through our managers um but that was almost like the old management style now i find it's more upcoming sorry for coming down coming up so we have to be available at all times it doesn't matter what time of the day what day of the week or where we are thankfully to things like black and everything else we are engaged but that's the lifestyle that we choose and if you choose that lifestyle, you have, a, have to have a passion for this industry. And if you have a passion for the industry, then you build a culture. From that culture, people get what you are stating, saying, and engaging them to do. And they should feel part of that. And when there's a piece of paper on the floor and I walk past and I pick it up, everybody's doing the same. It's not that we have to point that out. We shouldn't have to point that out. Then everybody's engaged. But that's the process. Yeah, I mean, we have a very pre prescribed way of as Elon says, onboarding an employee, and it depends on whether it's in an opening scenario or whether it's an existing operating asset hotel. When you've got a group of people coming on at the same time, from my perspective, it's a much better way to indoctrinate them into, into what you are all about. And we have a very specific 10-day process called we call Countdown, um, which really takes an employee through the culture and then their technical training components. The first two days are all about culture. And everything that's on this card, we similarly have a card, the front side of which is our ethos, which has our core values in it, the back side of which are our ideals. So the front is the what, it gives us kind of context around who we are and what we do. And the back are basically the 10 commandments of what Morgan's Hotel Group is about. And of course, and, and those commandments of which there are 16, really teach people 
who we are, what we do, how we do it, when we do it, who we do it for, what we're standing for, and, and what we're all about. I mean, that's, that's a quick kind of Cliff Notes version. And the first two days of this opening scenario process are all about that card. So think about spending upwards of eight hours talking about that, that metal card in front of you. That's the degree to which we go to culture training and an opening scenario. And then the rest of it is the technical training that Alon talked about, where you go into your departments and you learn the technical components of your specific job. The goal here is to get people to believe that we all have one goal, one mission, which is to serve our guests and create great experiences. And the other is the actual functions of our job, the checking people in and out, the serving a glass of water, the understanding of what the offering is at the bar and so forth. The technical pieces are easier to train, right? You can train people on how to do, make a bed and so forth. If you don't, as an employee, which goes back to the hiring conversation, think about who you're hiring. And when you do so, think in the back of your mind as the hiring manager that they have to kind of understand that they're going to, these are the things that are going to be important to them if they agree to join the team, that you use that as a, as a shield or a filter to hire against so that when you end up with your pool of people or your team, they're like-minded. Um, there is a filtering process that takes place. We tell people in an opening scenario that, listen, this may not be for all of you. This is a little cultish. To some of you, it may sound cult is a bad word. For me, it's actually not, it's a, it's a positive. But for those of you who feel like you're being asked to or to join something that's not really your, your game, it's totally fine. Just, and you can opt out. So let's do both of us a favor and opt out now so that down the line, we don't have to make a difficult kind of, have a difficult conversation. One thing is interviewing people and giving them off and getting them through the door. But when people join a new company, there are so many things that are going through everybody's mind. Like, did I make the right decision? Is this the right company? So I'd say one third of the process is the hiring process. And the other third of the process is definitely the, the, the first 90 days when it's a lot of insecurities in their mind. And oh my gosh, I was in this job for six months or six years or 16 years. Did I really make the decision? So I think part of what we do has to reinforce the reasons why they came and why they chose you over all the, the competition that's out there. And yes, we are the right company. And Gansville is a family that we want you to get to know. What about um, different properties? You know, we're talking about kind of this onboarding process, but does that change at all based on the the location of a hotel? What are the differences, if any, between um, kind of building the company culture in these different properties and then kind of the guest experience you want to create in each of those properties? Well, I think first you've got to ask yourself, why do you work in certain properties in certain locations? Right? So <laughs> we've all been there and done that. So, you know, we as a hotel group, we pride ourselves in choosing locations that offer a diversity in daily excursions, right? From the daily excursions then become different daily events, different daily events, different daily expectations, and, and let's call them job responsibilities, different job responsibilities different locations, you have different roles, which are different positions. All of the GMs actually within our properties have all been on board before within the properties, worked themselves up, up throughout the ranks and have been promoted. So I think the culture has been inbred. We've been very fortunate to be in that situation. So for instance, in Turks and Caicos, our GM came from Miami. So we've been very, very successful at promoting through, it, through, through within. But again, that's down to who is on your team, who works for you, and who has a passion for what they do. We have a passion for what we do because we wouldn't be working for 28, 30 years or whatever we are within the industry. And it really shows in the way you engage not only your team who works for you, but the way that your team engages your customer. 
the Caribbean comes with its own set of challenges. I'm just wondering how you both adapted to that. Yeah, there are definitely labor challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's again down to leadership by example and treating everybody in a manner that you wish to be treated yourself and to treat everybody with respect and dignity. So there's two things in life. There's loyalty um, that sometimes you have, to, you have to gain and there's respect. So you can be a leader and people can be loyal to you, but are they respectful of you? We try to, to, to have a culture where our general managers get both. But that is, again, down to the culture, the training, and the way you manage your team, and the way they're engaged in what they do. And it's almost like giving them ownership of what they do. Now, there are certain labor laws that you work with um, and you work together with to create that ultimate unique guest experience which again is the way that you manage your team, you communicate your team. And it's all about communication. Like we said with the onboarding, the 10 questions, it's communication right from the beginning, but it's effective communication. So yes, there are department meetings every month. Sometimes they're required a bit, a bit sooner than a month, but it's keeping your team informed at all times. So it is that monthly intercompany newsletter that goes out to all the hotels. It's suggestion boxes because we're not all perfect, right? We like to know those. Um, why not take great ideas? It doesn't matter where it came from, but any great idea that improves what you do. We are an independent company, so we can move swiftly and quickly. If it's financially positive, positive to us, but more importantly, it offers a better and unique experience to our clients. Why wouldn't we listen? Why wouldn't we learn? So we do that both from within and from our clients. And from a client's point of view, as Morgan's Hotel Group does, as we do, we do the pre, the the, pre, the letters to, to you know to to guess when they make the reservations, just before they arrive. If they've got any other expectations, more importantly, when they leave. So we're t- totally engaged at all times, whether it's through our customers through our employees, through our teams, or through our managers. And we have to be very patient. Right? Yeah, it's, yeah, and, it's and a lot of information. It, it is, and it's different by country. I mean, we, I've had the fortunate opportunity to open now in, I don't know, three or four different countries. And some of those countries, the base labor pool doesn't speak English. So all the things we're talking about here in training and onboarding and culture development is all done in, in another language, which adds a level of complexity on a couple of levels. You've got just the fundamental translation of a word, which means something completely different in another language. So your culture components, be they an ethos or your ideals, which means something here, and I'll give you an example in a second, means something entirely different in another language. So you have to take that all into account so you don't get yourself into trouble because there is the opportunity, and I've seen it happen, didn't happen to me specifically, but it happened in one of my openings where somebody didn't run something past the local team and it was not well received at all by the by the general property team. And that's a big danger if you're not careful. So there's just those kind of mechanical components of opening a hotel and getting the culture right in a, in a property that doesn't speak the language or has a slightly different, even, and even in England, which is obviously English, but there are cultural, geographic cultural differences that are at odds with your corporate culture initiatives. It's just, it's just the way it is. So speaking about the guest experience, so do you both consider your products luxury products, luxury guest experience? That is a very big subject. 
to discuss. And the reason why I ask that is because it's there's this balance, right? Your lifestyle hotel, um, the interaction with the staff is a big part of the experience. There's a nightlife aspect, a lot of fun. But at the same time, when you're thinking of the luxury customer, um, you know, there's a certain respect for propriety that's um, intimated by that, a certain structure. And so I'm just, especially as the day progresses, I'm just wondering how you balance that or what type of internal conversations you have about that. Well, for instance, if you talk about Gansel Hotel, we, you know, we profess, well, we are a lifestyle hospitality brand, all right? And we say that we provide guests with an energetic social experience. Okay, so we have an energetic social um, experience, but how do we support that, right? So we support that with, you know, we say that our, our, our service is seamless, right? Coupled with modern, l- luxurious service. But when you, when you talk about luxury or luxurious service, what is that? You have certain companies in the world, which we don't mind stating, the St. Regis's of the world, the Four Seasons of the, of the world, the Peninsulas, the Mandarin Orientals. You could say that's traditional service. Traditional luxury. So there's traditional luxury, and then there's modern luxury, or there's lifestyle luxury. So you could say, well, what is luxury? Is that attentive service? Is that service that's exact? Is it seamless, as in when I don't want it, don't be intrusive, but when I want it, I want what I want when I want. So that all has to be balanced. Yeah, I mean, luxury lifestyle is, it's a term that's evolved. So, I mean, lifestyle in general has evolved and the the term boutique has evolved to become lifestyle. I think it's a really hard term to define. I think each hotel company probably would define it differently. Um, we call it cultured lifestyle, right? Cultured lifestyle hospitality. What does that really mean? Um, it's it is uh, ser- it's engaged service, but the definition of luxury truly comes into play when you talk about that. My luxury is much different than what my parents' luxury might be or, or probably is, and my kids' luxury is going to be different from what I like, just because the mindset of the traveler has changed so dramatically. And the disposable income of those travelers, they're willing to spend more for certain things than they are for others. And so their, their definition of luxury to a millennial might be instant access to my web, to my, to my technology. And as long as I got that, I'm good. I'm happy, right? So it, it really varies. And the short answer to your question is yes, I would consider ourselves luxury lifestyle. Okay. But, but I think that it's, it's a, it's a full bays conversation around what that really means to Alon's point. I'm not sure we're going to be able to unpack it here all today, but it's, it's, right. a, it's a big topic. And looking at it from another perspective, you would look at luxury. You could say that what was luxury years ago, right? Let's take 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it's today's standard. So what is the standard? What is the benchmark of what is standard and where luxury or what becomes or what makes a, a property luxury? I think you just touched on a couple of things there as well. It's technology for sure, right? Everything has to be immediate. It has to be effective. It has to be efficient and it has to be there. That's almost expected, but that is a luxury also. So yes, our hotels do have the latest technology. We do have a wireless network, but it's not just a wireless net- network. It has to be the fastest and the bandwidth has to be sizable to be able to transfer and download files without having to wait 15 minutes because time is money. Time, if you, if, if you take time, people become impatient. So it's about having the right things in place at the right time. But also it's about giving value. So certain times when you give value, that's perceived as luxury, as value behind the rate that you're paying for what you'll get. And the expectations that a client has, they need to be fulfilled. 
and everybody has different expectations. So when you talk about wireless, is it wireless? Is it complementary? Is it included? We include complementary wireless throughout our properties and always have, always will. It's part of our culture. But what else do you give? We give the ice at turn down. That's unexpected in a lifestyle brand. We give turn down mats. We still give the, the, the slippers. That's unexpected. But what is it? Is it unexpected service or is it un unexpected luxury? Does that then define us as a lifestyle luxury brand? So there's many aspects that we, we could go through. Maybe that's another hour at another stage. I'm not quite sure where we are. But it is a fascinating topic, and I think it's a topic that should be talked about because there's so many different aspects of what defines a luxury. It's also aligning yourselves with brands, other luxury brands that you form partnerships with, whether it's your restaurant, whether it's your spa. We haven't talked about that side of our business, but they all define you of who you are and, and, and how you're perceived by your customer and how you, how you fare with your competition. Do you see the, the lifestyle segment um, becoming a commoditized marketplace? I think we have to be careful in our, in our there, there's a lot of brand bleed even within the same companies. So if you look at some of the big companies and I'm not going to call anybody out, you can make your own inferences, but there's, there's definitely brand bleed where they used to think there was white space. And these brands are typically built because they think they can play at a different rate premium to their competitive set within their own company. So the, you know, the luxury product, most of the big companies have one and they've got a lifestyle product. Most of them have one and those have different clienteles. And so too is the rest of the graduated branding. So you basically edit services up or down and that's how you end up with those products. But there's a lot of crashing into each other going on right now. And everybody now in our specific segment lifestyle who's jumping in and there's, there's a new one all almost every day or not every day, but almost every week there's a new, Oh, I heard so-and-so is doing their lifestyle brand. Um, it, it's certainly something we watch. I think that, um, some of the things we talked about earlier, which is hiring the right people and making sure that there's a culture that people respond to that ultimately translates to the guest experience helps to keep the competitive edge that we've got currently, but it's, it's a battle. And then just what keeps you guys up at night in terms of the future of hospitality? For me, it's all these disruptors in the market. I, I've had more conversations in the last couple of weeks about true disruptors to our industry. We talked about Airbnb as one, Flipkey and some of these others. I don't really want to give these guys a plug on the radio or on this podcast, but <laughs> the fact of the matter is these guys are out there and they are um, uh, you know, a force to be reckoned with. And, and I think we need to, that's what keeps me up at night. How, how do we continue to differentiate ourselves in a way that they choose, they, the consumer, the guest, the customer chooses us versus some of these other alternative products. Um, and it's something we talk about literally every day in one way or another, whether it's about market share and how we steal it back, whether it's about pricing and how we make sure we're relevant, whether it's about design, which again is still wildly important and how we design to the degree that, that people will come back. So, so it, it enters into every single conversation. Um, and it's changing you know, changing dramatically and at a pace that scare, quite frankly, it's, it's a little scary. Well, it's definitely all topics that we could talk about for hours. I wish that we had hours to talk about it, but unfortunately we have to wrap up now. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all of your insights. We really appreciate it. And hopefully we can have you back again soon so we can kind of delve into more of these topics that, that we obviously would love to talk about. I would like that. It'd be a pleasure. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you.